Good morning. So like Neil said, we're, we're in Philippians chapter 2 this morning. So if you get your Bible apps ready, get your Bibles open. So if you remember, Paul is writing this letter from prison to the Philippian church to encourage them to grow in the gospel. And unlike some of the letters that Paul wrote to the other early churches, Paul doesn't really have any correction or rebuke for the Philippians. They are walking with Jesus and pursuing Christ-likeness. Paul loves these people and he rejoices in them. He wants to encourage them to press in and to grow in Christ. That, by the way, is Paul's favourite way to refer to followers of Jesus in Christ. Their identity and their lives are shaped by being in Christ. And here as we come to the second chapter of Philippians, this is the high point of the letter here and really one of the greatest passages of the Bible. It's really a privilege to bring it to you. I know some of you in this room have committed these verses to memory and what a worthy passage this is to do that with. So let's read together these awesome words written by Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that this is the word of God. Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us these amazing verses. Father, thank you for your great love for us that you freely gave your son so that we can be made right with you. Jesus, thank you that you were willing to humble yourself, even to the point of death on a cross. Our Holy Spirit, help us this morning as we meditate on these verses and make us more like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. The scope of this passage is huge. Paul seemingly piles up truth upon truth, and he writes with such clarity and beauty that many people consider verses 6 to 11 to be Paul quoting an early hymn. But the key verse to our passage is verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
And how do I know that that's the key verse? Because Jesus summed up the law of God as you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Or you should look to the interests of others. So looking to the interests of others is a high priority for Jesus. So I know it must be important. And on the face of it, maybe it seems quite straightforward. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. But is it straightforward? How do we actually do this and why? So let's work backwards a little bit and let's read verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. This is the start of how we look to the interests of others. Count others more significant than yourself. But we have a problem, a big problem. It's there at the start of verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. So rivalry is working towards things that ultimately promotes ourselves. If you're reading this in the Bible app, the ESV updated the translation of this word to say selfish ambition. And conceit, conceit is a word I'm sure I've never actually used in real life. The Greek for this word is kenodoxia. And that means, um, it means empty pride. Or in the King James Version, it gets translated as vain glory, which is a fantastic King Jamesism. So do nothing from selfishness. Do nothing from pride. And the problem is this, that the default position of the human heart is pride. Every human being is born looking in one direction, inwards, ourselves. It's been like this since Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the garden, wanting to take the place of God. Just take a moment to think about the ways that you spend your time on a typical day. What is the focus really on? A lot of us spend most of our waking time at work. And are we working hard to push our career forwards, to be seen to be working hard, to be presenting a good image of ourselves? That's vain glory. And at what point does our social media use turn from connecting with friends to presenting a carefully curated, beautiful picture of ourselves? How quickly it can become vain glory. And what a perfect phrase that is for that situation, vain glory. You see, if we don't keep a watch on ourselves, quickly our time and our energy is going to be spent on one person, us, ourselves. Our natural default state of pride is at odds with verse 3, where it says, In humility, count others more significant than yourself. So, what is humility and how can we find it? Well, interestingly, Greek didn't even have a word for humility. That's how foreign the concept was to them until the start of the church, actually, which may or may not be a coincidence. Historians don't really know. But Paul made this word in Greek by jamming together two other Greek words, low and mind, and he just smashed them together. And Paul sees our mind as directly connected to our lives. How we think affects the way we live. And I guess when we think of humility, we probably tend to think in terms of self-esteem. But how does humility relate to self-esteem? And what we actually hear all the time, isn't it, that 
we hear that all kinds of problems come from low self-esteem. Children misbehaving, depression, anxiety. Our culture sees the solution as trying to feel better about yourself. Let's just try and get some more self-esteem, shall we? I had an email at work a couple of weeks ago. The title was, Make Yourself a Priority. It's Wellbeing Wednesday. The answer that we're told is, give yourself more me time. Give yourself more attention. Put yourself even more first than you already do. Pump yourself up. Inflate yourself. You need to be your own best cheerleader. Well, what would Paul call that? Vain glory. Conceit. It's empty. The problem is not that we need more self-esteem. In fact, if Paul is to consider himself, he thinks of himself as the foremost sinner, the chief of sinners. You see, he knows himself the best. So from his perspective, he is the worst. And that's the same for us. We know the things we think. We know the way we live. And if we're honest, we can say that too. We are the worst. So is this it then? Is humility to have low self-esteem instead? No, not at all. True humility is not low self-esteem. You see, someone with low self-esteem is actually more acutely aware of themselves. A person with low self-esteem is actually the most self-obsessed type of person. Someone with low self-esteem feels the sting of their flaws and their faults and their failures. Someone with low self-esteem actually has more pride than the person with high self-esteem because pride is looking inwards. True humility is not thinking less of yourselves, but thinking of yourself less. True humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. What we're called to do is to leave behind either self-hating or self-loving and be self-forgetting. That is so freeing. Does criticism sting because it feels like a personal attack? Or do you feel insignificant when meeting someone important like your boss? Or how about this? Does seeing your reflection make you stop and stare? Either because you're admiring yourself. We've all seen, I think, if you've been in a gym, the guys who've been lifting weights and they go up to the mirror and they're admiring every one of their muscles. I'm sure I've seen guys spend five or ten minutes just doing that. Or do you catch your reflection and you have to stare, obsessing about the flaws? Do you fantasize at night about how interactions could have gone better? How you could have presented a a better, more competent image of yourself? All of these are symptoms of self-esteem. Ultimately, they're pride. But we're freed by self-forgetfulness, by this humility. So how do we become humble? We get free from slavery to self-examination by changing our gaze. Where are you looking to? Stop looking at yourself and look to Jesus. I love this verse from Hebrews. Let us lay aside every weight 
every sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Or later in Philippians, Paul is going to say, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We look to Jesus, believing in him, giving him our failures and our brokenness, and we are his. We are set free. If you are Christ's, then you are in Christ. Are you tempted to be defined by your successes or to be defined by your flaws and your failures? Christian, you are not defined by what you have done, but who you are in Christ. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your successes. He doesn't see those failures. He doesn't see those flaws that you hate about yourself. You are in Christ. He sees Jesus' obedience and he sees his child who he loves. Don't be tempted to fall back into those old ways of defining yourself by any other standard. And this helps us in every step of daily life. If you remember back to the times when we were allowed to go out and go hiking and you're kind of hiking through rocky terrain, I always fall into this trap where I'm, I'm going over this rocky ground and I just end up staring at my feet and just it feels so difficult and I'm tripping over the rocks and I just have to remind myself to break out of that and to look up. And as soon as you look up, it becomes so much easier and you stop stumbling, you realize it, it could have been like that all the time. And our daily life is like that. Look up, look up from your stumbling. Look to Jesus. Look away from yourself. And that's how you grow in the gospel. Let's look at verse five. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So what is this mind? It is this, count others more significant than yourself. It's this low-mindedness, this humility, this self-forgetfulness. And it is yours in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, this is where your identity comes from. And here we go. Let's read from verse 5. This is our perfect picture of humility. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. A lot of pride comes from entitlement. And if we think that we have any reason to be entitled, Jesus had more. He was in the form of God. He is God. He could have rightly grasped equality with God. But he went from king of heaven to a servant. He had more right not to be born among the animals. He had more right not to be falsely accused. He had more right not to be whipped. He had more right 
not to be nailed to a Roman cross when he himself even invented the idea of wood and he's nailed to the wood that he created. He had more right not to be killed. But Jesus had this mind, this humility to count others more significant than himself. He came for his glory, yes, but he also came for us. He came for our sake, to be our substitute, to take the punishment that we actually do deserve. He hung on that cross for us. And we can never be like Jesus. That's not the point. Jesus already has been perfect for us. And because of the grace we received, we long to increasingly reflect God's character as we see him revealed in the word. That's what Paul wants for the Philippians, to increasingly grow like Jesus. Let's go to verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ. Yes, there is encouragement in Christ. He draws near to us. He loves us. He gave himself for us. Are you broken hearted? Are you weak? Are you struggling? Well, there is encouragement and help there in Jesus. He is there for you. Is there any comfort in love? Well, this is a great, great message for Valentine's Day. There is no greater, more perfect love than this. Neil already read it for us. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We have a father who loves us, who would give anything for us, who has given everything for us. He gave us his most precious thing, his son, to adopt us into his family. Comfort in love. If any, participation in the spirit. Participation is that word again, that Neil introduced to us in the first or second sermon, koinonia, participation, fellowship, partnership. The Spirit lives in us and works in us the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. We have fellowship with God through the Spirit who is present in us. And what a Trinitarian verse, verse 1 is. The full force of the Trinity working in power in us How can we grasp gospel humility, looking to Christ, comforted by the demonstrated love of the Father with the eyes of faith given by the Spirit? If there is any affection or sympathy, and actually affection here is a bit of a weak translation. In the Greek, it's bowels. And you know when there's really strong emotions, you feel them really deep down in your guts, right? Not really in your head or your heart, but really deep down. I'm sure when Andy proposed to Beth, when Johnny proposed to Lottie, when you hold your child for the first time, you know, that happens really deep down, doesn't it? So this encouragement, comfort, fellowship, the love of God in Christ should stir our guts. I don't know where we sometimes get the feeling that We can be Christians without really engaging our emotions. We're in call to a holistically transformed life, mind, emotions, soul. The Bible doesn't really know anything of these parts of a person being disconnected. We're saved to God, mind, emotion, body, soul. 
So true gospel humility means we stop looking inward to ourselves and we look up to Jesus. And we also look out. There's a new vertical and a new horizontal focus. When we're free from looking to ourselves all the time, we will notice those around us. When we stop comparing ourselves to others, we get free to celebrate in the successes or mourn with those going through hard times and suffering. If we take the focus off ourselves, then the lives of others no longer feed into our self-esteem. If we're set free to a gospel humility, then when we see others getting a new promotion or a new house, a new car, whatever it is, we won't immediately calculate and compare to ourselves. I mean, how messed up is it that we do that? Oh, how much more, how much more was that than mine? What would it be like for me to have that? No, instead we are free to celebrate, to rejoice in the blessing with them. And how much more joy is there in that? When someone is experiencing a setback in one way or another, do we feel that schadenfreude, you know, that rejoicing in other people's misfortune? If we're set free to gospel humility, then we'll be quicker to comfort, quicker to sympathize, quicker to participate in that difficulty. Things are so much easier when we go through them together. C.S. Lewis put it like this. The thing we would remember from meeting a truly gospel, humble person is how much they seem to be totally interested in us because the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. So Paul said back in chapter 1, verse 27, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So now we've taken some time to get our minds right. And let's see how Paul expects this gospel thinking to affect our gospel living. Let's read verses 2 to 4. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Complete Paul's joy by growing in unity through humility. Being united in the same mind. This mind is this low-mindedness, humility. Taking hold of this mind that was in Christ and free from looking inward to ourselves. Being able to look up and out, like I said before. And all having this mind together in unity. Thinking in the same ways and the same directions. Thinking of others' interests. Thinking in the same ways together means that we will move in the same direction. Having this mind of humility means that we unite together in where we put our energy, our money, our effort. And having the same love. For those of us in Christ, we have been loved by the Father. And therefore we sacrificially love others because he 
first sacrificially loved us. And in full accord, this one full accord actually in Greek is one spirit or co-spirited. And what it really means is a little bit like soulmates, which might sound a bit cheesy. But we have all things in common in Christ. And the Bible describes us as a church like a body or a family. That we're that connected. We're like soulmates. And again, Paul ends with one mind. Mind is so important for Paul. And this is a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God, of which we, liberty, are a local outpost of. This is how we do life as a church, in our gospel communities, standing together side by side, united for the gospel. And it's not about merit, but about value. A person's value doesn't depend on what they can do, but who they are. And as we know, the church is one body. So even more for the church, every part is invaluable and essential and worthy of care. In fact, if there are parts that need more care, it's more important that they're cared for because we all hurt together. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. I'm sure for Andy, when he injured his knee, that part deserves more care because it was injured. It's the same for me with my football injury and probably all of us guys who probably all have football injuries. Those parts deserve more care because they're weak. So let's have this mind among us to look to the interests of others, especially those who need more care. And we do this to make Jesus known. One of my favorite verses, John 13, 35, the primary way Jesus expects us to be known as his disciples is the way we love one another. We show what God is like by the reconciliation, unity and love that we have for one another. And if we have any of those things, it's because of verse one, a gift of the spirit because of Jesus, because of the love of the father. And humility is not asceticism. It's not inflicting pain for the sake of it. Paul is not asking us to put ourselves down or inflict a painful life on ourselves. No, he knows how the kingdom of God works. Let's read verses 6 to 11. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow. Wow. This is the way the kingdom of God works. Jesus became as low as possible, beaten, crucified, abandoned. But God raised him from death and exalted him above everything else. 
And Jesus is now ruling and reigning on the throne of heaven. And there is a day coming when the full glory of Jesus will be revealed. And everyone will have no choice but to bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It will be clear and plain to everyone what God's plan of salvation has been throughout history. How he is worthy of all glory, honour and praise. Jesus was brought to the lowest. So he was raised to the highest. The kingdom of God works this way. And Jesus said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So it is no loss to be humble now when there is an eternal weight of glory waiting in return. That is a smart trade. To live now in a way which we were designed for that gives the most joy and brings the most gospel fruit and then go into eternity for an exaltation and a reward from God that will last forever. What a smart trade. See, from a worldly perspective here, as Paul is writing Philippians, he's in prison. His plans have failed. His life looks like a life of loss. But Paul doesn't count the cost. He rejoices. How weird is that? Because of the advance of the gospel for the good of others. Paul knows that to be with Christ is much better. And however low he is brought He has a future exaltation ahead of him. He's got sonship. He's got an inheritance. He's got an eternal weight of glory that is coming. So let me sum up like this. Liberty and joy come by finding freedom from looking inwards and instead looking up and out to Christ and to others. Then we will know the greatest fulfillment and joy for our souls we're created to know god and we're created for community so when we can get the twisted focus off ourselves and onto jesus and onto others the happier we will be and the more we look to jesus the more we find our identity and our worth there the freer we'll be to let go of our self-esteem of any sort and to live freely in a life of love and unity that Jesus intends for us. So look to Jesus and in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you have adopted us into your family as your children. Thank you that you have chosen to love us even though we are weak and broken people. Thank you that whatever else we're going going through in our lives right now, that this Valentine's Day we can know the comfort of your love for us. Jesus, thank you that for your great humility that you didn't come to be served but to serve us. And that you went as far as dying on a cross for us, that we can be saved. Holy Spirit, thank you that we have participation in fellowship with you. And please transform us by the renewing of our minds. Help us to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Father, would you increase our humility 
and increase our unity for your glory and your kingdom. Amen.